through the known empire at that time and how he continues to work in our lives and in our day and age as we, we learn how he has moved through time and history uh, and continues to do so. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we, we look at uh, what God has to say for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time when we can open up your word and read. When we can see the truth of who you are and how you've moved through history and how that changes us because we see the truth of how you're still moving in our lives. So Lord, I just pray for this time as we read Acts 25 that we can see who you are and respond to it. That we can see how you move and move in alignment with that. Lord, we love you. We seek you. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Plans change. Plans sometimes just don't work out. If you're anything like me, I bet you can look back on your life and you can see distinct moments when the plans you had just didn't happen. Or maybe the plans you had had to be changed or tweaked because life was just not doing what you expected to do. That's just a fact of being human is that our plans change and, and we have to actually have faith that there's someone behind our plans changing that has a better plan or is moving in better ways. There's moments in my life when I think about these times that, that happen and the angst it can bring. I think about how I went off to school and I, I never intended to actually, actually become a pastor. I went off and I left for college with full intention of following my dad's footsteps and being a physician and it didn't take more than a year at college for that plan to get out the window. And then another plan to take his place, to go out the window. Until finally God grabbed hold of me, and I actually never thought I would go into the ministry, but he grabbed hold of me by the gospel and the possibility of doing that. I never thought I would be in a position like this because I never thought I had the skills. I never thought I would be what God would want to be in this position. Again and again, plans change. Five years ago, I never planned to be the lead pastor of River Valley Community Church. Even before that, I was in a, when I graduated seminary and I got what I thought was going to be my dream job, I never planned to actually leave that, but plans change, things happen, and I end up as associate pastor here, and then I end up as a lead, the lead pastor. I never thought that would be in, it would work out like that, but plans change like that. There's an old Yiddish proverb that says, man plans, God laughs. You might have heard it as a more common saying, I think actually it was made popular by Woody Allen, but a more common saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because that's what it seems like sometimes, right? You're trying to do this, you're trying to move this way, you have these plans, but it doesn't work out and it seems like God has something completely different in store for you. It's so often that actually it's posted online a lot, you can see pics like this about how we have a plan but God's plan looks radically different than our plans. You might have seen this. I see it a lot. And actually, I, post, I think I posted it before because it's the truth. That's how life can feel sometimes. That we have a plan, but God's plan does not measure up. But this is not new. It's not new for us. It's not new when we can actually share it to the masses through the Internet. No, it's the fact that humans are not in control when we want to be. And we think our plans are good when maybe they're not. We think how things should happen, but God has a, something better. And when we look to Acts 25, 
what we see is Paul right in the middle of where God wants him, in God's plans, but you have to imagine that he's experienced some angst because it's not quite working out, or maybe it seems to be stalled. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts 25 as we see Paul waiting for God's plan to continue to move forward. If you just join us for the first time, or if you have forgotten what we talked about last week or weeks prior, Paul had returned to Jerusalem. He felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do so. He was going to uh, he was bringing an offering back to the Jewish Christians from all the churches around that he's been ministering to and the churches he's planted. And he comes back, and they kind of they they uh, accuse him of things he wasn't doing, and they arrest him. He gets whisked off by the Roman soldiers. Now he's in Roman custody. And last week we ended with the fact that. He, uh, he testified before Felix, the governor, and then all of a sudden Felix is out and there's a new governor coming in, but he's now been in prison, imprisoned by the Romans for two years as we learned that um, Felix kept him in prison hoping to kind of appease the Jewish, his Judas, uh, Jewish um, um, people he ruled over. And now Festus, this new governor's coming, and that's where we picked up the story. In Acts 25 it says this, Now three days after Festus, had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he would summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning to ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. If there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them no more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festivus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul says, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar." Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, his council answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and, and uh, Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they, were, as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused meet the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning a charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal, ordered a man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. We had lost how to investigate these questions. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had, uh, when Paul had appealed to kept in custody for the, 
decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing wrong, done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him, therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after you have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send, uh, to, in sending a prisoner, not to indicate the charges against him. It's a big section of text that seems very historical and actually seems like a repeat of what we have already talked about in the book of Acts. But when you read that, you read this in this context that has been two years as Paul has waited in prison. Two years. Just think about what changes in two years. Jobs change, houses change. Think about how fast a child grows up in two years, how you can take a newborn and now they're walking around and jabbering in two years. It's been two years as Paul has waited for something to happen, and you can imagine the angst it creates in him as now it seems like God's plan is moving forward a little bit, but yet it's a redo. It's a repeat. Festivus is just like Felix. He hears him, but he wants he 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 brings the Jews back down, and he and he he asks for them what, Paul whether he wants to go back up to Jerusalem, and and the leaders of the of the Jews are actually asking him to come back to Jerusalem because just like three years or two years before, they wanted to kill Paul, and they were playing an ambush, and like nothing has changed. That he testifies again before Festivus, and the Jews come and they testify against him, and they cannot bring any wrongdoing truly against him. And now he has to talk once again to King Agrippa, and it's been two long years, and now it seems like God's plan has stalled. That Paul knows that God is bringing him to Rome, but now he's waited in prison, now waited for something to happen, and when it starts happening again, it's the same old, same old. So what do we take from this text? I'd be honest, when I'm reading this text, preparing for this Sunday morning, I wrestle with that fact. Is this a redo? It's the same things we've talked about. But when you pull back, when you see the context, I think what we're supposed to take from this text, or what we can take from this text, is this. Faith waits. Faith waits. Faith Trust in God, waits in God to move. Faith waits with trust. Faith waits with confidence, knowing who God is. Faith waits with hope, knowing that he has a plan. Faith hopes expectantly, knowing who God is and his goodness and how he moves throughout history. Faith waits. Actually, the opposite of faith is not waiting. The opposite of faith sometimes is trying to take power in your own hands or, or do your own things and, and do your own plan. But the fact is, faith waits. And what we see in Paul in Acts 25 is a man of God 
waiting for God. But this shouldn't surprise us that faith waits. Because when you look throughout the Bible again and again, we see this truth, faith waits. Just go throughout the history of the Old Testament, and again and again you see people demonstrating their faith, showing their devotion to God by the simple fact they waited for God to move. Think about Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the father of our faith, the one who is justified by righteousness because he believed in God and trusted in God. And what is his story? He waited for God. 25 years he waited for God's promise of that promised child Isaac to come true. He waited so much that when Paul is thinking about faith, he uses Abram as that example. And he says in Romans 4.20, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Faith waits. Or we can go to Joseph, descendant of Abraham, who's who's sold by his brothers into slavery, who now ends up in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, but then is accused of wrongdoing, put into jail, all the while hanging over his head. In his mind are these dreams he had from God that one day his family would bow down to him, and now... 13 years later of being a slave and in prison for part of that time, he's waiting for God to move, and God moves, and he becomes into power in Egypt. But he did it all trusting in who God is, staying firm in his belief because he knew faith waits. Think about the Israel, the whole Israelite people being led by Moses into the promised land. And then now, because of their grumbling, they are wandering in desert for 40 years. And the leaders who stay true, Joshua and Caleb and Moses, now for 40 years have to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Because they waited and led faithfully because faith waits. Think about the prophets who came before the Israelite people with the word of God and proclaimed the word of God to the people, even in the face of evil kings and oppositions as they were tried. Think of Elijah, who saw so many of his fellow prophets killed by Jezebel in in King Ahab, but yet he stayed true and he had to flee and he was in the desert and he he prayed for a drought as God told him and he prayed for uh, rain, but yet he stayed true he knew God was at work because he knew faith waits. Think about the people of God after they are taken over by the Babylonians and they're scattered and they're taken into Babylon and you can think about these people who stay true to the God, true to knowing who God is and how he's working and knew that he was at work even as they were in exile living under a foreign power knowing that one day he was going to bring them back into their land and give it back to them and they were faithful to God because they knew that faith Think about the whole of the faith, of the Jewish faith especially. They were waiting for God to send the Messiah. They were waiting for God to send the Savior. They were waiting. So it's no surprise that we read again and again in the Bible, we read in the Psalms, in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because part of faith is that we wait for God to move. Or in Isaiah uh, 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, because faith waits. And so this long lineage, this, this truth that Paul knew that faith waits for God, now he is in limbo. Two years he sat seemingly in a prison cell, 
He has some liberty. His friends can come and give them what he needs. He can speak to his friends. He might have been able to leave custody with a, a soldier with him to visit the local church in Caesarea, and, but he is limited. For two years he has been there. This guy who used to travel the world and preach God's truth and plant churches and, and there's how the Spirit would move him now for two years, all he could do was maybe talk to the local church and he's wondering, God, what is happening? I'm waiting for you, but yet it seems like your plan, the plan I know that you have for me, the plan that you're calling me to Rome to testify before even Caesar himself about who you are, but yet now I have waited for two years. And now the governor changes. It seems maybe the plan is going to move forward, but it's just the same. The same things happen once again, but yet Paul waits. He Paul, Paul waits with faith because he knows that faith waits. Because he knows an element of faith itself, an element of faith in who our God is, is that we wait upon the Lord. He even would tell Christians this fact, we wait upon the Lord. He would write to the church in Philippi in Philippians 3, 2 and say, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He would say the same truth in Titus Writing to a young pastor, he would write this to him in Titus 2, 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and unworthy passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Or again in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That waiting is not just for the people in the Old Testament, it's not just for Paul while he's waiting in prison, it's actually an element of our faith. We wait for God, but more and more particularly, we wait for Jesus to return. That we have an expectation and we have a hope. This world is not it. This world is not the end all be all. That we actually know something lies behind. We know something's coming. And that is our Lord and Savior coming again. Not as a babe that he came before. As a baby who was born to live for us and to die for us and to rise for us. No, he's now coming back as he truly is. The ruler of the universe. And when he comes back, we wait with expectation. Why? Because when he comes back, he'll make all wrongs right. He'll wipe away every tear we've ever shed. And we'll see the truth of what reality is supposed to be as he brings his kingdom into being. And so we wait because we wait with faith because we know what awaits us to be with our God as we're meant to be. So now, presently, in the ups and downs of life, we wait because faith waits. But how do we wait? How do we wait? And I think when we look at Paul, we see some things that teach us how we're supposed to wait. First, we wait with integrity, staying true to who we are. When you look at Paul, I love how 
Again, the Jewish people come back and they accuse him of all these wrongdoings. And I love how it says in verse 7, they're bringing many and serious charges against him they could not prove. They're making stuff up. They have no proof that he defiled the temple. They have no proof that he was speaking against the law. They could not prove this. Why? Because he waited faithfully, but he waited with integrity. He knew who God made him to be. He knew the truth, and so he waited firm in that. And so as we wait for our God, we have to have integrity. It's hard because sometimes when we wait, we can get lax, and we can maybe get impatient, if you're like me, when we get impatient, we want to kind of speed up what's going on, and that might cause us to do things we shouldn't do. That might cause us to do things we, we, we are not supposed to do. But we're supposed to wait with integrity, staying true to who God has called us to be. We wait with integrity. We also wait with steadfastness. Again, when we look at Paul, he stood firm. Not, just in, not with this integrity where he did nothing wrong, he did not sin while he was waiting, but he stood firm because, again, they brought accusations against him. What he did, what did he do then? He stood once again in his defense. He did not move an inch. He testified again who Jesus was. Festivus Ezean says that. When he's talking to Agrippa, he says, these guys are bringing these fine points of law, but it seems like it all boils down that the difference between them and Paul is that Paul believes in this Jesus guy who rose from the grave, even though these people say he didn't. That he stood firm on the gospel. He refused to budge. Which means when we wait for God, when we wait with faith, we are called to be steadfast. We don't give an inch which might be the hardest thing because as we're waiting, when things don't seem to be moving forward, that's when we feel the pressure of our times and maybe the pressure of the people around us or the culture, and it's tempting us to maybe give in here or give in there or maybe reconsider this thought or that thought or that belief or that stance, but we're called to wait with steadfastness, to stand firm on what is true, to not grow sleepy at the will, but hold tight and continue to follow God in all because faith waits. But Paul also shows us that faith waiting is not a passive thing. Sometimes when we hear the word wait or faith waiting, we think that means we're just sitting around waiting for God to do something. And we're just sitting around waiting for God to do what he's called, said to do. And there's an element of truth that, yes, but why we wait, we do what God has called us to do. We're proactive in living for him. And I think we see that in Paul because when he's waiting, he knows God's going to bring him to Caesar. And so when he sees his chance, he says, I appeal to Caesar. That once he finally realizes that if this is going nowhere, this is a repeat, they're not going to give him a fair trial. He's not going to convince the ruling council. What does he do? He goes, God is taking me to Rome. Well, let's go to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. <coughs> Excuse me. It's funny, some people actually think Paul was in the wrong. They said, well, he should have waited until God brought him to Rome, not like jumped the gun. But I don't see that there. I think he has waited patiently, and he's staying true. He has had integrity. He's done nothing wrong. He, stayed, he has um, had been steadfast in the truth, and now he knows since God is taking him there, let's go. I appeal to Caesar. And then the same thing 
when we think about us waiting, it's not a passive thing. That we do what we know we're called to do. As we're waiting for God to move through our lives, we know what the Bible has called us to do, which means we love people. We love God. We proclaim his gospel. We serve people. We help people. We love our neighbors and our families. We raise our families in the way of God. We do all these things that God has told us to do through his word, and we wait actively. Wait actively as God's using us being faithful in the small things to direct us in our life where he would have us go. Faith waits, but we are actively pursuing God and what he's called us to do as we are waiting. It's not a passive thing, but a full, faithful life, active and following God, waiting for his redemption plan to move forward. And finally, a truth that we have to remember is that we wait knowing that we, that we can't wait faithfully in and of ourselves that we can only wait as Christ calls us to wait because he is working in us and has given us the Holy Spirit to make this possible. We have faith that waits because Christ has changed us from the inside out. Paul demonstrates this because he was transformed. Once he did not know Christ, but now he knows Christ. Once he was not a new creation, but now he's a new creation. And now because of that, he can wait faithfully for God because he has been remade. And why he can now write to the church in Galatia how patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. That patience is one of the things that the Spirit works in us and gives us. And so we learn from all that that we can wait because Christ is working in us. I think that's so important because when we're thinking about faith that waits and we're talking about how we need to wait on God, sometimes we hear this and we say, well, then i got to be more patient. Then I somehow within myself have to will myself to change. Within myself, somehow I have to bring about this faith that waits. But that's never what the Bible says. The Bible says faith waits. Why? Because God has transformed you from the inside and now he's given you his spirit who gives this fruit of that spirit, which one of those aspects is patience. Welling up on you because he has changed you from the inside out. And so that's why we can say we can wait with patience, wait with faith because Christ has changed us. Faith waits. Faith waits with integrity. Faith waits standing firm on the truth. Faith waits in a proactive manner as we seek to live for God. Faith waits knowing that we only didn't do that because God first has changed us. But faith waits. So let's cultivate a faith that waits. Let's cultivate a faith that truly trusts God enough to wait for how he's moving in our lives. Wait in all those ways that we see in Paul and how we're supposed to wait, but let's do that. We can ask, well, how do we cultivate that? How do we practice that? How do we, how do we somehow cultivate the soil of our soul in a way that, that gives room for God to work this waiting faith into our lives? Well, I think it sounds maybe easy or simple, but we read his word and we pray. Sounds almost too easy. They're like, no, no, there's got to be some trick. Give me the 12 steps on how I can get patience. 
or how it can wait faithfully with God. No, I think when we read the Word, we see again, because it's God working in us, all we do is we make ourselves available for the truth of God to marinate our hearts and our souls, so now that when we pray back to God, His very Word, we are being changed as the Spirit works through His Word and in our hearts. That faith waits, and we cultivate that because we marinate ourselves in His Word and His truth and see He is a God worth waiting for. That we see he's a God that we can actually trust because he is moving in ways we can't understand, but we trust his goodness and his care for us. And so we read and we pray. So I want to cultivate that in us by starting that right now, reading and praying. So we can read passages such as Psalm 130, and this is verses 5 and 6. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Dear Heavenly Father, we wait in you because your word is firm. Your word is true. Your word will not come back void. Your word is powerful and active. Your word gives life as the Holy Spirit applies it to our life. We wait for you and we ground ourselves in your word. Verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Heavenly Father, we wait for you. Sometimes life can feel like we're the watchmen in the middle of night. It's scary out here. We can't see what is coming. And we just hope for light to peek over the horizon. We just hope for something to change, something to give us security, something to show that we're no longer in danger. And Lord, we wait for you in that manner with expectation, knowing that you bring hope. With that expectation, knowing who you are, Lord, we hope and we pray for you to work in us in that fashion right now. Lord, help us wait for you. Faith Let's pray again to our Lord as the band comes back up here to lead us in one more song. Lord, we wait for you. We wait for you because we know your goodness that has been told to us again and again through your word. Lord, we wait in you because we know your truth has been proved again and again. Lord, we wait in you because we have hope in you that you're bringing us to where we're supposed to be, that you give purpose and meaning in all of our life. We have hope that transcends this life. We wait for you. Lord, we have faith that transforms us from the inside out as we continue to wait for you. These good things that are are taking place in our life now and in our, and we have waiting in the future, and these things that we know you're bringing about, we wait knowing your love for us, knowing your care for us, knowing that you have a plan for us. And Lord, in all of these things, we wait faithfully. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing again. This is one of the oldest hymns um, as we celebrate.